Hello. Am go. Am go. <laughs> we're, little, we're recording oh. at a different time today, so it's a little different vibe. We're both completely just out of it, which is fine. Which yeah. is fine. I'm going on vacation, so we're recording this early, and everyone already knows what the episode is about, so here we go. <laughs> I've got my headphones fastened over a towel on my head, because I Perfect. thought that on the hour meant in an hour, and I decided to do a hair mask when I was supposed to get on to record with Haley. It happens. Just, everyone needs to know all this information. Just girly things. Just girly things. <laughs> um... We are going to jump right into the episode today. Oh, by the way, to... we're crime culture. We are crime culture. I'm yeah. Haley. That's Caitlin. I'm Caitlin. Yeah. There we go. Yep. <laughs> so um, if you listen to last week's episode, we did the murder of Tupac Shakur. This yeah. week we are doing the murder of uh, Biggie Smalls, Notorious oh, yeah. B.I.G., Christopher Wallace. Many, many names. Yes, boo. Um, I tried to spark note as much of his like early life career family life information um because i really want to get into the pop culture side because there is hella information like i was researching up until the last like second like right before we yeah press record because uh, I, like as i was looking up one thing another thing popped up and it's just it, you can go on forever you can go down quite a rabbit hole with this I, I am completely with you. I totally get it. I had the same thing happen with yeah. Tupac. I, like, literally, right up until we got on, I was finding stuff. I was looking at stuff. Because it's yeah. just, there's so much. Yeah, and I feel like a lot of people, like, obviously, he's a very iconic, famous person. So a lot of people know most of his accolades and story and everything so i'm i'm gonna touch upon a bunch of that stuff and a bunch of stuff that i personally didn't know that i wanted to include um but just know that there's a wealth of information out there that i will try to link to all on the website and um you know you can go there for there's a million different books and his uh his influence on other artists other musicians is like boundless i mean everyone makes references to him so um the more information you want to find you can look up but jumping right into it yeah so biggie was born as christopher wallace his real name Mm -hmm. at saint mary's hospital in brooklyn new york on may 21st 1972 and he was the only child of jamaican immigrants uh his parents um valetta wallace his mother was a preschool teacher and his father i think it's selwyn george latour was a welder and a politician okay. and his father left when biggie was just two years old and oh. his mother worked two jobs while raising him which is, what is i it? mean it's just the typical story of like mother pulling herself up and working hard for her her child biggie Honest was an only child so like but really though like that seems to be so prevalent particularly in stories of it's actually kind of funny now that i think about it both true crime like Mm -hmm. people who are prevalent in true crime and also artists people in the entertainment industry that always seems to be the case that's so fucking weird yeah and you're gonna notice a couple different parallels obviously with tupac who we had talked about um his father was also not really a huge presence in his life um But anyway, so Biggie did exceptionally well in school, and he actually won several awards as an English student, which is not surprising when you hear his his lyrics and how he writes music and um, the intellect that he puts into all of his songs. Right. Um, He was named Big because he was overweight by the age of 10. Whoa, that's awful. That's rough. um, That's cool that he, like, wasn't, well, maybe he was, I don't know, but, like, kind of embrace that nickname well yeah no like it that's that's what i guess i'm going with is that he like you can let that either break you or you can turn it into something that you can use and he clearly turned it into something he yeah, can use he made because, it like, like his brand Biggie smalls yes yeah yeah it's his entire fucking thing like that's amazing yeah. <laughs> i love that um, i love this journey for him well it doesn't get great uh, I didn't he say actually I loved ends the it, end of the journey. I no. just love this particular 
where we're at right now. I love this journey for him. Well, two years later, uh, he started dealing drugs at the age of 12. Okay, I no longer love this journey for him. No. So his mother was often away at work and didn't know about his drug dealing until he was an adult, which obviously is probably heartbreaking yeah. and terrifying to learn as the mother. Right. Um, but he began rapping as a teenager, and he would entertain people on the streets. He performed with local groups, um, the old Gold Brothers and the Techniques. And at his request, he actually transferred to um, the high school that he would end up uh, doing most of his uh, learning at, uh, George Westinghouse Career and Technical Education High School. And it's actually where future rappers DMX, Jay-Z, and Busta Rhymes were also attending school. Oh, wow. Wait, at the right? same time? I don't think they're around the same. I, don't, I actually don't know. I don't know just, if they're the same age. I'm just curious. Like, I don't know. Like, I'm pretty sure Jay-Z's, like, what, like, 45? Well, so, so this like year maybe? would have been Biggie's 47th birthday. Yeah, so, so that's, wh that's why I'm saying, like, maybe. Also, Jay-Z very well may not be 45. I'm not saying that as fact. I am both terrible at math and terrible I didn't at research, figuring out people's ages. I didn't research too much into that, but there was a lot of crossover with Biggie and um, various other rappers that are huge today so it could very well be that they all went to school together i don't know um you're he all right well i i just looked at jay-z and yeah well he'll be 50 this year so i'm dumb but so it is they're possible like almost, yeah they're almost the same age yeah but that's pretty crazy whoops so uh according to his mother biggie was still a good student but kind of developed a smart ass attitude at his new school i guess thinking he was over everything like he didn't really need it um well, so he ultimately mechanism yeah i guess but i mean he was always very good at school it wasn't like he but had he can be trouble learning but he can be insecure about other things he can be insecure about his home life he can be insecure about his weight he can yeah. be insecure about like having to suddenly move schools yeah like that can uh, break it any was student. it was at his request that he transfer schools like he wanted to go to this one specific school um but ultimately at the age of 17 he dropped out and actually became more involved in crime mm. and in 1989 he was arrested on weapons charges in brooklyn and sentenced to five years probation the year after in 1990 he was arrested in on violation of his probation and the year after that, he was arrested in North Carolina for dealing crack cocaine and spent nine months in jail before making bail. Aww. So he had a rough, like, late teen years. You don't say. But um, it was during this jail time that he started writing more rhymes. Um, he came out with hundreds of rhymes that were ready to be recorded. So he made a demo tape and called it Microphone Murder. And that's when he first used the name Biggie Smalls. Um, supposedly the tape was made with no serious intent of actually getting a recording deal. It was kind of art for art's sake. Like he just made it because he had so many rhymes in him that he just needed to get them out. Okay. Um, however, it was promoted by New York based DJ, Mr. C who had previously worked with big daddy Kane. And in 1992, it was heard by the editor of the source. And in March of 1992, Biggie was featured in the source's unsigned hype column. And this was dedicated to aspiring rappers. And um, it actually made a recording deal off the back of this success. Okay. So the demo tape was heard by Uptown Records, uh, A&R, and record producer Sean Combs, who everybody knows as P. Diddy, Puff Daddy, a million other names, too. Okay. That's another thing I noticed with a lot of rappers. There's a lot of name changing there is no and i mean it it's not just like i'd say that i'm trying to remember what he goes by now so sean combs with all of his aliases that's one and we touched on that last in the last episode with tupac yeah. but like there's there, what about when snoop dog he went from snoop to snoop dog to snoop doggy dog to snoop lion, snoop lion. back to snoop dog <laughs> yeah, yeah like i mean it's just i don't know if somebody can explain this to me like or Prince, and then the artist formerly known as Prince. He was just a yeah. goddamn symbol for a while. Like, somebody please explain this to me. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know the the logic behind all this name changing, but regardless. We're, we're dumb. Yeah. So, P. Diddy, I'm, who I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to refer to him throughout the episode as P. Diddy. Uh, he arranged for a meeting with Biggie after hearing the demo tape. 
he was signed to Uptown Records immediately and made an appearance on a track by label mates Heavy D and the Boys. In mid-1993, a year after Biggie signed his recording contract, P. Diddy was fired from Uptown, and a week later he started his own label, which was Bad Boy Records. Biggie followed the sign... Uh, he followed P. Diddy and signed to the label the same day that Bad Boy Records was founded. So wow. he was more loyal to P. Diddy than he was to the record label that signed him. Yeah. Yeah. Damn. On August 8th, 1993, Biggie's longtime girlfriend gave birth to his first child. I want to say it's Tayana. I think that's how you say it. Um, like the Biggie, Disney princess who I love? It's T... Uh, uh, quotation mark Y A N N A. Yeah, I think that's probably Tiana or Tiana, Tiana. or something like that. Yeah. Tiana. Yeah. Um, you know better than me, so you're, you're the expert here. <laughs> Don't even call me an expert on anything we talk about. <laughs> we're, um, we're not experts on anything. No. Um, Biggie had split with his girlfriend sometime before Tiana's birth. Um, despite having dropped out of high school, though, he wanted his daughter to complete her education very admirable uh but not so admirable he continued to sell drugs after his daughter was born to support her financially yikes yeah the lengths he will go to um but once pdd discovered this he gave him an ultimatum it was either you sell drugs or you work for me right so uh he kind of forced biggie to quit selling drugs which seems fair yes Later that year, Biggie recorded as the Notorious B.I.G. and gained exposure after featuring on a remix to Mary J. Blige's single Real Love. He recorded under the name Notorious B.I.G. for the remainder of his career. This is interesting. Found out that the original moniker of Biggie Smalls was already in use. Huh. I did not know that. How much did he pay the person to be like, yo, give it to me? I don't know. Well, I, people still refer to him as Biggie Smalls, but after his first, it looks like after his first demo tape and when he was first signed, he switched to Notorious B.I.G. and that's what he recorded under for the rest of his career. Maybe that's why why um, musicians always change their names. I don't know. I don't either. It's weird. Yeah, same. Uh, regardless... Real Love peaked at number seven on the Billboard Hot 100 charts. He continued this success to a lesser extent on several other remixes throughout the year. In April of 1993, his solo track Party and Bullshit appeared on the Who's the Man soundtrack. In July 1994, he appeared alongside LL Cool J and Busta Rhymes on a remix to label mate uh, Craig Mack's Flava in Your Ear, uh, okay. which reached number nine on the billboard hot 100 charts so he's constantly getting like within the top 10 yeah um on august 4th 1994 wallace married uh biggie married r&b singer faith evans uh after they had met at a bad boy photo shoot five days later um his first pop chart success as a solo artist with double side juicy slash unbelievable reached number 27 as the lead single to debut on his album. The album was Ready to Die, and it was released on September 13, 1994. It reached mm-hmm. number 13 on the Billboard 200 charts and eventually certified four times platinum, which is crazy. I think, is platinum the highest you can go, or is it diamond? Diamond, I believe, is the highest you can go. Okay, I think I, I, think I mentioned it later in that. here. Yeah, okay. Then I'm going to wait until that. So we'll okay. put a pin in that. <laughs> so the album, uh, this album shifted the attention back to East Coast hip-hop at a time when West Coast hip-hop dominated the U.S. charge with, like, Tupac. Um, it gained Same. strong reviews and received much praise in retrospect. In addition to Juicy, the record produced two hit singles, the platinum-selling Big Papa, which reached yep. number one on the U.S. rap chart, and Fun One fact. More Chance... Fun yeah. fact about Big Papa, I make Felix dance to that song because he is large and I don't know whether or not he is a papa, but he is large and yeah. that's all that matters. I believe that song is on my workout playlist. Oh it's yeah, just, probably. It's, it just it's gets you fucking a, pumped. Yeah, it's a fucking banger to this day. Yeah, it's a bop. Um, yep. 
The other song was One More Chance, and that sold 1.1 million copies in 1995. And, excuse me, around the time of the album's release, Biggie became friends with fellow rapper Tupac Shakur. The two reportedly actually became close while traveling together uh, whenever they weren't working. Apparently, Biggie was even a frequent guest at Tupac's house, and they spent time together when Tupac was in California or Washington, D.C., makes a lot of sense yes i think and there's an oakland mc i think it's called yuck mouth mm. i think is how you say it y-u-k-m-o-u-t-h sure. that sounds like yuck mouth to me yuck mouth that's what i'm going with okay so he claimed that biggie style was actually inspired by tupac biggie also befriended basketball player shaquille o'neal at this time Shaq i always forget said, It it seems like Shaq has lived forever, (laughs) yet I always forget about him. Exactly. And then he shows up on, like, Fresh Off the Boat or in a Gold Bond commercial, and suddenly I'm like, oh, there's Shaq. Oh, yeah, Shaq again. Shaq Um, exists. So Shaq said that they were introduced during a listening session for Gimme the Loot. Biggie mentioned him in the lyrics and thereby attracted Shaq to his music. Shaq requested a collaboration with Biggie, which resulted in the song You Can't Stop the Rain. According to P. Diddy, Biggie wouldn't collaborate with just anyone. Um, He would only collaborate with people that he really, really respected. And um, Biggie paid Shaq his respect by shouting him out in his music. Okay. So it was a big deal to be uh, collaborating with Biggie. And did you know that Shaq is also, I just recently learned this, that he's like a musician that he performs and stuff in concerts i didn't know he did that he's he's like an edm type of musician or something like that and and a bunch of people were there was there was some edm concert that went off maybe like a couple weeks ago to a month ago and people did not know like this they were like oh dj so-and-so is gonna be like playing next and then it was like it's shack that's his, that's his, fuck it, I'm trying to figure out the name, DJ Diesel. DJ Diesel, okay. DJ Diesel. And I never knew that. And people were like, okay, next up is DJ Diesel, and then fucking Shaq walks out, like, can you just? I want to say, sorry for going off the rails a minute, okay. but like, when we, a big group of us went down to Ocean City, Maryland for, I think it was. Family reunion. Memorial Day. I don't know. But I thought somebody, like, on a sign, it flashed that DJ Diesel was playing somewhere. And none of us knew who that was. Well, now we know. It's fucking Shaq, bitches. I'm going to have to look into that and make sure that is uh, accurate, because that is pretty crazy. That Wait, that Shaq is DJ Diesel, or that... That he was playing... He was playing in uh, Maryland. Yeah. Anyway. Because I was going to say, I was (laughs) like, he is. He's fucking DJ Diesel. You don't need to fact check me this time. I just needed to, to see if I was right, or if I'm... 100% 100% making that up. I don't know. I don't either. Okay. Back to Biggie. So. Okay. Throughout 1995, Biggie worked with his protege group, Junior Mafia, which standed, standed, which stood <laughs> for uh, Junior Masters at Finding Intelligent Attitudes. Um, this included his friends from childhood and rappers such as Lil' Kim and Lil' Cease, who went on to have big solo careers. Um. This, along Good. with various rappers and R&B groups, um, Biggie Star was only shining brighter at this point. He was only getting bigger and bigger. By the end right. of the year, Biggie was the top-selling male solo art, artist and rapper in the U.S. pop and R&B charts. In July 1995, he appeared on the cover of The Source, the same, uh, the same publication that had covered him in, like, up-and-coming artists. Yeah. So now he's on the cover. Yeah, followed him from the beginning. Yes. And uh, there was a caption that said, the king of New York takes over. And that was a reference to his Frank White alias from the 1990 film King of New York. Okay. At the Source Awards in August 1995, he was named Best New Solo Artist, Lyricist of the Year, Live Performer of the Year, and had the debut album of the year. Nice. Yeah. So just winning all of the awards. I know. And plus, like, the fact, I'm sure he was apprehensive, not that I'm promoting it, but, like, about giving up selling drugs, something that's 
not to glorify it, but a more mm-hmm. steady income than being a musician. Yeah. And like, look at, look at, look at him. Look at yeah, him. Yeah, I don't know, because it's not really mentioned much after that, after P. Diddy gave him the ultimatum. Um, they don't really talk too much about that, at least in the places that I was reading up on. Right. Um, anyway, at the Billboard Awards, he also was named the Rap Artist of the Year. This is all in 1995. Good for him. So in this huge year of success, Biggie became involved in a rivalry between the East and West Coast hip-hop scenes with Tupac, his now former friend. Oh. Yeah. Tupac accused Uptown Records founder Andre Harrell, P. Diddy, and Biggie of having prior knowledge of a robbery that resulted in him being shot five times and losing thousands of dollars worth of jewelry on the night of November 30th, 1994, which I believe... You had talked about. Yeah. But like. Yes. I don't know. Man. Yeah. I, it's just. It's a woof. It's a big woof. Yeah. That'll. That'll ruin a friendship. Yeah. If they put a hit out on you. Yeah. Allegedly. Alle- an alleged hit. Yes. Yes. Um, so although Biggie and his entourage were at the same Manhattan based recording studio at the time of the shooting. They denied the accusation that they had anything to do with it. Um, following his release from prison, Tupac signed to Death Row Records, as we had talked about. Um, this made Bad Boy Records and Death Row business rivals, and it intes- intensified the feud overall. Right. So, Biggie began recording. Yeah, uh, obviously understandable. They're now like the two biggest names in rap, hip hop, and on opposite coasts, and it's just a lot to handle. So. Uh, Biggie began recording his second studio album in September 1995, over 18 months, in New York City, Trinidad, and Los Angeles. The recording was interrupted by injury, legal disputes, and a highly publicized hip-hop dispute. In June 1996, Tupac released the song Hit Em Up, which was a diss track that he claimed to have sex with Faith Evans, who was estranged from Biggie at this time. And also, yeah, also alleged that Biggie copied his style and image. So it's a yikes. That's a big yikes. That's that's a big yikes. yikes. (laughs) So Biggie referenced the first claim about sleeping with his estranged wife on Jay-Z's Brooklyn's Finest, in which he raps, if Faye had twins, she'd have probably. I'm sorry, I'm butchered. It's okay. If Faye have twins, she'd probably have two pox. Get it? Two (gasps) pox. Yeah. Oh, my. Yeah. So that's all he said about it. He didn't directly respond to the track and stated in a 1997 radio interview that it, quote, wasn't his style to respond. Okay. So that's very it was just, classy. Yeah. So it was just that lyric and that's it. Kind of left it at that. I am pleasantly surprised. Yeah. But three months after this um, interview is when Tupac died. So Faith Evans remembered that her husband called her on the night of Tupac's death, crying and in shock. Mm. She said, quote, I think it's fair to say he was probably afraid, given everything that was going on at the time and all the hype that was put on this so-called beef. He didn't really have uh, he didn't really have it in his heart against anyone. On October 29th, 1996, Evans gave birth to Biggie's son, Christopher C.J. Wallace, Jr., the following month, Junior Mafia member Lil' Kim released her debut album, Hardcore, under Biggie's direction while the two were having a, quote, love affair. So, Ooh. there was a little something there. That's a big yikes. Uh, big yikes, yeah. There's a couple of those in here. There, there's a few. There's but a few. Yeah. So, during the recording for his second album, Life After Death, Biggie and Little Cease were arrested for smoking weed in public, and they had their car repossessed. Nice. Biggie chose, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, as you do. Cute. So as Biggie I'm, chose. As I'm close to. Yeah, of course. And in, on that note, donate to the Patreon. No. Yeah. Um. Um. On. So their rental car was a Chevrolet Lumia, Lumina. Um. Lumina. And Lil, Lu, I think it's Lumina. Um. I, I have no Cease, idea. I'm just asking. I think that's it. Lil okay. Cease objected to getting this car. The car had a brake problem, but Biggie dismissed it. 
and they ended up colliding with a railing, shattering Biggie's left leg and Little Cease's jaw. Yikes. Yeah. So Biggie spent months in the hospital following the accident. Uh, he was temporarily confined to a wheelchair and at one point forced to use a cane and had to have complete physical therapy. Despite Oof. his hospitalization, he continued to work on the album. The accident was actually referenced in the lyrics of the song Long Kiss Goodnight, saying, You still tickle me. I used to be as strong as Ripple B till Little Cease crippled me. Ooh. Yeah. That is... That's that's rough. Even though he fucking chose which car they were going to get. I don't know. Yeah, anyway. I don't know, but I'm just saying, either way, it's rough. Yeah. So... Biggie traveled to Los Angeles in February 1997 to promote the upcoming uh, second studio album, Life After Death, and he was also there to film a music video for the lead single, Hypnotize. On March 5th, he gave a radio interview with The Doghouse on San Francisco's KYLD, in which he stated that he had hired security because he was fearing for his safety. Okay. Understandable. Yeah. Um, That's what you do. Biggie referred not only to the ongoing East Coast, West Coast hip-hop feud and the murder of Tupac Shakur six months prior, but his role as a high-profile celebrity in general as his reasons for getting the security detail. Totally, totally valid. Totally understandable. Especially when you're kind of the center of the East Coast hip-hop scene and you have to go to the West Coast. Like, there's going to be animosity there. Yeah. Makes sense. Like, so, I completely agree. Also, we can't understate. He's 24 or 25 at this time. Yikes. I, he's still I, young. Like we said last week, it's so weird to think about that because when you're a kid and these icons unfortunately pass away, and they, like you don't think about that. Yeah. They seem so much older and then you get to be that age and you find out that's how old they were and it's like, whoa. Yeah. It's insane. Yeah. Um, so on March 7th, Biggie presented an award to Tony Braxton at the 1997 Soul Train Music Awards in Los Angeles and was actually booed by some of the audience, obviously huh. on the West Coast side of the hip-hop feud. The following evening, on March 8th, he attended an after-party hosted by Vibe Magazine and Quest Records at the Peterson Automotive Museum in West Los Angeles. Okay. Uh, the other guests included Faith Evans, uh, Sean Combs, P. Diddy, and members of the Bloods and Crips gangs. Right. On March 9th, 1997, at 12.30 a.m., Biggie left with his entourage in two GMC Suburbans to return to his hotel after the Los Angeles Fire Department closed the party early because of overcrowding. Whoa. Biggie was in the front passenger seat alongside his associates, Damian D. Rock Butler, Junior Mafia member Little Cease and driver Gregory G. Money Young. P. Diddy was in the other vehicle with the three bodyguards. The two SUVs were trailed by a Chevrolet Blazer carrying Bad Boy Records director of security. What, what is with these security guards not riding with their charges? Yeah, I don't know why they're not like one in each car, dudes. What is what is with the, like genuinely- what's the point of having it? Come and and like this just happened with Tupac six months yeah. earlier. This yeah. just happened. Yeah. So I don't know. It was around twelve forty-five. The streets were crowded with people leaving the event. Um, I think P Diddy's car got through the light, but Biggie's was stopped at the red light on the corner of Wilshire and South Fairfax. It was just fifty yards from these the museum when a dark cover. Blech, a dark-colored Chevrolet Impala SS pulled up alongside him. The driver of the Impala, who was described as a black male with a bow tie and a blue suit, rolled down the window, drew a 9mm blue steel pistol, and fired into the Suburban. Four bullets hit Biggie. Oh, man. His entourage rushed him to Cedar sinai Medical Center, where the doctors performed an emergency surgery, but he was pronounced dead at 1.15am. Again, he was 24 years old. That's... Yeah. Yikes. So his death was mourned by fellow hip-hop artists and fans worldwide, as you can imagine. Another huge shock. Like, nobody can believe this would happen, especially after what had happened to Tupac. 
rapper Nas felt that the time of Biggie's death, um, along with Tupac's, was, quote, uh, nearly the end of rap. Yeah. Yeah. I've got to agree. Like, the two hugest names at the time. Right. Which is crazy. It's so fucking tragic. Immediately following the shooting, reports surfaced linking Biggie's murder with that of Tupac six months earlier. Obviously, people can kind of make that connection um, due to the similarities that they were both drive-by shootings and of the highly publicized hip-hop feud. Um, media reports had previously speculated that Biggie was in some way connected to Tupac's murder, but there was no evidence that ever surfaced to seriously implica- implicate him. Shortly after Biggie's death, Los Angeles Times writer Chuck Phillips and Matt Liott wrote, um, reported that the key suspect in his murder was members of the Southside Crips acting in service of personal financial motive rather than on the gang's behalf. The investigation stalled and nobody was actually ever formally charged. Yeah, that's... Yeah. Someone's got... Like, both of these stories, somebody has to know something. Yeah. This one is... uh, I mean, I'll get to it in in a minute, but, like, I feel like this one has a, a a definite like one clear theory okay. but um tupac's might be a little more of a, a gray area but as far as this one goes in a 2002 book by randall sullivan called lambreth capital la okay. information was compiled about the murders of biggie and tupac based on information provided by a retired lapd detective russell pool in this book sullivan accuses suge knight co-founder of Death Row Records and a known Bloods affiliate of conspiring with corrupt LAPD officer David Mack to kill Biggie and make both deaths appear to be the result of the rap rivalry. Wow. This is is the biggest theory that's out there. But that Um, also makes sense because remember last week when we were talking about how he was perpetuating the theory that Tupac could still be alive. Yeah. Whatever makes yeah. him money. Suge Knight we is, don't know. We don't know, is a shady but. fella. Also, side note, um, a song of Suge Knight's came on on the radio once <laughs> when I was in the car with Elliot, and Elliot <laughs> referred to him as Suge Knight. So, <laughs> so there's that. There's one more white person. <laughs> oh, Suge! There's, there's one whiter person than us. <laughs> oh, oh god Suge oh, Knight if I ever meet him oh you know you know <laughs> excuse me sir he's Suge Knight Suge Knight anyway oh, so this I'm book, gonna give Elliot hell <laughs> this book stated that one of Mac's alleged associates Amir Muhammad was the hitman who actually killed Biggie the theory was based on evidence provided by an informant and the general resemblance of Muhammad uh, to the facial composition generated during the investigation. An article published in the Rolling Stone by Sullivan in December, uh, sorry, December 2005, accused LAPD of not fully investigating links with death row records based on Poole's evidence. Sullivan claimed that P. Diddy, quote, failed to fully cooperate with the investigation, end quote, and according to Poole, encouraged bad boy staff to do the same. The accuracy of this article was later challenged in a letter by the assistant managing editor of the Los Angeles Times, who accused Sullivan of using shoddy tactics. Sullivan, in response, quoted the lead attorney of the Wallace estate, calling the newspaper, quote, a co-conspirator to the cover-up, end quote. In alluding to Sullivan and Poole's theory that formed the basis of the Wallace family's dismissed $500 million lawsuit against the city of Los Angeles, the New York Times wrote, quote, a cottage industry of criminal speculation has sprung up around the case with documentaries, books, and a stream of lurid magazine articles implicating gangs, crooked cops, and cross-country rap rivalry, end quote. And this noted everything associated with Biggie's death as being big business. So they're kind of, the Los Angeles, uh, sorry, the New York Times is trying to dismiss this theory, saying that it doesn't have any real grounds. In examining Sullivan's assertion that the Los Angeles Times was involved in a cover-up conspiring with the LAPD, 
It's actually important to note the conflicting theories of the murder were offered in different sections of the Times. The Metro section of the Times wrote that the police suspected a connection between Biggie's death and the Rampart Police corruption scandal, which is consistent with the Sullivan and Poole theory. The Metro section also ran a photo of Muhammad, identified by police as a mortgage broker, unconnected with the murder, who appeared to match details of the shooter, and the paper printed his name and driver's license, which... Mm, you can do that? That, mm, that doesn't seem think, kosher to me. I don't yeah. think you can do that. I, I mean, I guess I you're a newspaper. Think. You can kind of do whatever you want, right? Uh, no, that... Mm, seems shady. Yeah. Anyway. Like, just a little bit. So, just a little bit. This was all in the, the metro section of the Times. But Chuck Phillips, who was a staff writer for the business section of the Times, had been following the investigation and had not heard of the Rampart Muhammad theory. He actually searched for Muhammad, who the Metro section reporters said that they couldn't find for comment. It only took Phillips three days to find Muhammad, who had a current ad for his brokerage business running in the Times. So, what? Yeah, so the Metro section of the Times is like, oh, we can't find this guy to comment. Meanwhile, but like, his ad was running in that newspaper. Uh, yeah, it's weird. So, Muhammad, who was not an official suspect at the time, came forward to clear his name. The metro section of the paper was opposed to running a, retra a retraction, but the business desk editor, Mark Saylor, said, quote, Chuck is sort of the world's authority on rap violence, end quote. And he pushed, along with Phillips, for the Times to retract the article. The May 2000 Los Angeles Times correction article was written by Phillips, who quoted Muhammad as saying, quote, I'm a mortgage broker, not a murderer. Not a murderer. How can something so completely false end up on the front page of a major newspaper? End quote. Mm. The story then cleared Muhammad's name. A later 2005 story of Phillips showed that the main informant for the Poole Sullivan theory was a schizophrenic with admitted memory lapses known as, quote, Psycho Mike. Oh, that's nice. That's a, cool. That's a great thing to refer to people at. Oh. Yeah. Uh, I just, I so hate people. That was his nickname. So he actually confessed to hearsay. Okay. John Cook of Brill's content noted that Phillips' article demolished the Poole Sullivan theory of Biggie's murder. The criminal investigation into Biggie's murder was reopened in July of 2006 to look for new evidence and uh, to help the city defend the civil lawsuits brought on by the Wallace family. Retired LAPD detective Greg Kading, who worked for three years on, gang, on the gang task force that included Biggie's case, right. alleges that the rapper was shot by Wardell Pucci Fuse, Fuse, uh who was an associate Shugay? of Knight's. <laughs> um... And he died on July 24th, 2003, after being shot in the back while riding his motorcycle in Compton. So he's not around to question if right. he's connected. Yeah. So Which Katie seems believes, to be a common theme. Yeah. There's a lot of people kind of disappearing. Not saying it's like a big yeah, conspiracy. Even, but, yeah, I'm not saying it to say as a conspiracy theory. I'm saying it as in like... It, I, I don't know if the police, if there's a lot of red tape or if they just think that they can take their time or what. No, it seems but, like they kind of just left this one on the back burner, yeah. which is weird. But it's like a ticking time bomb. Like people don't last forever. And especially in such a volatile area industry, like tensions are running high. People have gang affiliations. Like it's like you want to get on your shit. Yeah, this the. This murder happened in 1997, and they reopened the case in 2006 and are trying to find witnesses. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, so, Kading believes that Knight hired Poochie via his girlfriend, Teresa Swan, to kill Biggie to avenge the death of Tupac, who, Kading alleges, was killed under the orders of P. Diddy. So, there's a lot of different... There's a lot of different players in this. So... In December 2012, the LAPD released the autopsy results conducted on Biggie's body to generate new leads. Um, the release was criticized by the longtime lawyer of his estate, Perry Sanders Jr., who objected to an autopsy. 
the case officially is unsolved. Now, I'm going to get into why I actually agree with the Sullivan Pool theory. And this is the theory that is talked about in the BuzzFeed Unsolved series. On uh, They did like a two-part series, um, the first on Biggie and then on Tupac. And here I thought or we were the first opposite. ones to think of it. Uh, no, absolutely not. So they, <laughs> they really dive into this. So I got a lot of their, my information from their episode, which okay. you can look on their episode to find their sources. Regardless. So even after looking at all the information that's conflicting in the Times article, uh, I still think that Suge Knight had the hit on Biggie and that corrupt cops were involved, mainly because the LAPD seemed to handle the Biggie investigation like somebody shoplifting from a 7-Eleven. Um, a former LAPD lieutenant, Sergio Robletto, was quoted as saying, Quote, uh, they were there the first night, but then they were gone the next morning, and they didn't come back to the case until a whole month had passed. In 30 years, I have never seen that. A murder case involving a major celebrity that wasn't taken over by robbery homicide right out of the gate. End quote. Which, yeah, that's a, that's a little funky. This guy was a huge name, and you just dropped the ball on that? Like, you just let it sit for a month? Um... Yeah, that's... Yeah, mm -hmm. it's, it's a little funky. It, yeah. it just gets worse. The oh, great. lead, <laughs> The lead investigator, Stephen Katz, reportedly did not interview Amir Muhammad, the suspected shooter, and, quote, forgot to turn over 200 pages of documents in the case that included important testimony that implicated another LAPD officer in the murder. And this resulted in the mistrial of the wrongful death lawsuit, um... That was between the Wallace estate and the city of Los Angeles. So you can just forget two pa 200 pages of documents. Whatever. Yeah, I, I don't know, man. And there's yeah. a lot of cans of worms that I'm sure are open as a result of this, whether it's to do with their treatment of a homicide of a white person or like all of that but yeah come on come on it, like, it gets worse uh, um, some members of the lapd were on the death row records payroll as security guards one car that was notably not forensically tested uh by lead investigator stephen katz was david max black chevy impala which if you remember yeah is the car that Fucking the shooter was in. I was about to say the car that shot him, but then I remembered this isn't like an R-rated version of no. cars. So the corrupt cop that the Sullivan and Poole were talking about owned a black Chevy Impala. So there's that. That's crazy. Another thing is that former bodyguard of P. Diddy pointed out Amir Muhammad in a photo lineup um, as the man he had seen acting shady at the party that night. Which, I mean, I guess you can say... Yeah, I mean, Maybe it could be anyone. But yeah, here, I think, is the most... how do they remember that? It's been so know. many years. They remember, I don't, oh, yeah, he was acting shady. I don't think it was... Um, I don't think they came back to him years and years later. I think that was questioning that happened um, closer to the actual event. Right. But anyway, so I think the most damning piece of evidence is this that when the case was reopened in 2011 with the release of the FBI files on the case, the files re revealed that Biggie had been shot with Gecko 9mm armor-piercing ammunition, and this ammunition is so rare that there are only two distributors in the U.S., and that same ammunition was found in David Mack's home. Oh! You can only get this ammunition in two places... In the entire U.S. And it's what killed Biggie. And it's found in the home of the corrupt cop who allegedly is responsible for this. Oh, fucking come on. Oh, my God. Yeah. As they say in the BuzzFeed uh, Unsolved episode, well, he didn't put his name on the bullet, so we can't be certain oh my that God. it was him. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Like, fuck Tupac still being alive and just kicking it in Fiji. I want to believe this theory. Yeah, that Suge Knight partnered with a 
corrupt cop who hired a hitman to kill Biggie. Oh my god, Sugay, why you do this? Sugay. How you do this, Sugay? <laughs> um so 16 days after his death, Biggie's double disc second album was released as planned and it hit number 1 on the Billboard Top 200 charts. Oh, as of course it did. But also it's so weird cuz the album was called Life After Death. Is that not really that's, weird? Yeah, that's I'm I'm I've got a little bit of a like his first chill. album was called Ready to Die, and then his second nah. album is called Life After Death. No, 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 no. But that's nah, what it was originally. That's, it. that's what here. it was going to be called. No, I, I, I believe you. I'm sure, but that's a little too spooky for my taste. Yeah, just a little um, bit. The album featured a much wider range of guests and producers than his first album, and it gained strong reviews. And in 2000, it was certified diamond which this is what we were talking about before. This is the highest RIAA certification awarded um, okay. to a solo hip hop album. Now we know. Yes. Take the pin out of it. Now we yeah. know. So the lead single hypnotize, which is another song on my workout yes, playlist. Yes. It's um, so good. It is. It was and the last. And if you think last... you don't know what you do. Yeah. Everyone knows it. <laughs> it was, the, it was the last music video recording in which Biggie would participate and his biggest chart success was the follow-up Mo Money Mo Problems, which is mm -hmm. another song I have on my playlist. Mm -hmm. And it featured P. Diddy under the rap alias Puff Daddy and Mace. Yep. Both singles released Both singles <laughs> reached number one. We're leaving all this in. I'm not taking anything out. Fuck it. Okay, perfect. <laughs> I love it. They reached number one in the Hot 100, making Biggie the first artist to achieve this um, after death. Biggie was named Artist of the Year, and Hypnotize was named Single of the Year by Spin Magazine in December 1997. Okay. So he received huge success after he passed away. Of course um, he did. That's what now, always happens. Well, not yeah. always, but most of the time. Yeah. That was actually um, a note when somebody was talking about how, like, Suge Knight put out the hit on on biggie but p diddy mm -hmm. put out the hit on tupac like they're the they're the the heads of these record labels and unfortunately like it'll make them these rappers are worth more dead than alive to them absolutely like they're, they're they stand to make more money you know who's if, worth more dead than alive to me who justin bieber i'm not saying anything but just scooter braun if you're listening i'll just you, leave it at that are you saying that somebody should put a hit out? I'm not out saying anything. On I, did, baby singer. Did I say Justin those words? Bieber? I did not. You were alluding to it. I there no no illusions, no collusion, none of it. I'm right. just well. I'm just. I'm gonna get into the pop culture section if you're done putting hits out on teen singers. <laughs> I'm never done putting hits out on teen singers, but you may continue. All right. Well. So as you can imagine, Biggie's music has also. Wait a minute, Justin lived on. like twenty-five. He's not a teen. I'm sorry. He we sings fourteen. For a second. That's fair. Okay. Okay. Go on. Yeah. So Biggie's music has taken on its own life, and it's been sampled in countless songs by artists including Ashanti, Gwen Stefani, mm -hmm. Mindless Self Indulgence, and Say Anything to name a few. Mm -hmm. Like some of their songs have. Um, samples of biggie's music in it right big papa who, which is a huge song is used in a ton of movies including yes. 2007 super bad when yep. jonah hill is dancing with the woman and gets period blood on his leg yeah and um when keanu <laughs> reeves sings it <laughs> yes keanu reeves uh sings it in the 2001 movie hardball oh i need to watch that yes i need to watch um, that <laughs> this is actually interesting i didn't know any of this but to honor the 15th anniversary of biggie's death in 2012 dj and mixtape composer terry urban crafted born ready to die which was a mixtape oh, nice. that combined instrumentals and occasional vocals from lana del rey's born to die album with raps from ready to die i love that which is yeah it's a weird mashup but um but i bet it works yeah, some of the comments were that it is mysterious and dark and rather incredible, making for a surprisingly cohesive record that still sounds fresh today. Nice. Fresh to death. Yes. And um, there was even a Taco Bell commercial in 2014 yes. that used the yes. Spanish version of Big Papa 
to promote their new cantina steak burrito. Yes. Oh my god. Was that yeah. really 2014? That wasn't. It was. That wasn't. It is. Oh man. I looked it up. Oh no. Oh um, dear. So there is an iconic mural on a building at the corner of Bedford Avenue and Quincy Street in Bed-Stuy, Brooklyn, which is mm-hmm. like Biggie's mm-hmm. home territory. And it's this wall-to-wall, top-to-bottom, huge image of Biggie's face yeah. with a crown on his head and the words King of New York above it. If you've never been to it, you've seen it. Yeah, every- everyone knows what it looks Everybody like. Everybody has seen it. Um, it was actually done by artist Scott Zimmer Zimmerman. And, That's a name. Uh, I'm going to butcher this name. Nafuel Rocco Eloi? Suge? I'm going to post a picture of the photo of the mural and their names on the website. So they're very talented. It's an amazing mural um, in New York. And um, they painted it back in 2015. Mm-hmm. And in mid-2017, it was actually in trouble of being destroyed. Yes. And the scummy landlord wanted to put windows on that side of the building to raise the rent of his windowless tenants, which is a thing you can be in New York. Yep. Yes, you it can is. be You can have an entire apartment with no windows. Yep. Um, and just a hot plate. Yeah. Um, but the artist collective Spread Art NYC offered him $5,000 to keep it. But the landlord wasn't having it. He came back with a counteroffer, which shows you how scummy people that own buildings in New York are. Uh, He promised not to destroy the mural if the group paid him $12.50 a month. So he wanted someone to pay rent for this. I mean, it's uh, fucking garbage. So unfortunately, Spread Art didn't have the money. And so now um, they're not sure if the mural is long for this world. An Instagram post That's spread bullshit. art um, told supporters that the mural um, that told supporters of the mural not to fret. Quote: Brooklyn is Biggie, and Biggie is Brooklyn. A landlord can never change that, unless he puts windows over Biggie's face. Yeah, I haven't been in that area recently, so I, don't think I can't I've be sure that it's that there. Area. I've been to Brooklyn. I don't think I've been to Bed Stuy. Yeah, you might not have any reason to go there. I, I didn't really have. The only reason that I had been to Brooklyn was for our going away party and for an audition that I had. And I was like, why the fuck is this audition in Brooklyn? I had some friends that lived in Bed-Stuy, but I don't remember if I walked by that building at any point. But um, mm-hmm. there's actually, I don't know if it's still there. I guess you can confirm if it's still there. When I visited California when I was probably like 19 or 20, Okay. I blue. stayed at the Hotel Wilshire on Wilshire Boulevard. Okay. And I am used to New York, so I wanted to walk around and explore the city. But Los Angeles is not a walking town. It ain't. So, <laughs> we drive so, like normal yeah. people. So I was down I was down the street from LACMA, the Los Angeles County Museum of Art. Love so, LACMA and their tar yeah. pits next door. You could smell like, it coming. On. Oh, love. <laughs> so I was walking down Wilshire and just kind of like seeing what was around and I, I get to the corner of Wilshire and Fairfax mm-hmm. and I see a giant mural that said Biggie's Last Stand and I mm-hmm. didn't really think anything of it and then as I researched this case more um, in the, the coming years I was like oh man that's uh, that's where Biggie died yep. I did not put those two things together and then you did and then I did but yeah I stayed at a hotel that was uh, right near there and yeah. I don't know if that mural is still there, but it was when I was 20, so seven years ago. But yeah. I don't know. I think so. That sounds about right. Uh, Math? Yeah. Um, if you are in the market for some incredible uh, art depicting Biggie, I will post links on the um, the website. There's Sachti Art, I think is how you say it. S-A-A-T-C-H-I. And they do amazing paintings of biggie Ooh, just gorgeous i need something um, to hang over my bed <laughs> there's also like i mean if you go on etsy if you go on Redbubble, if you yeah. go on zazzle like society six like yeah all these places are, there's incredible artists um who are depicting biggie in their own personal ways and it's right amazing and that's the best 
part about it. It's that he has left such a lasting impact on every single person, yet it's not the same thing. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's not just music. Like, it's not uh, just I'm gonna music, get into it's not just how he died. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's like, it's a whole thing. Yeah, so many different kinds of art have come up around this. And this next one is one of the things that I just found out about when I was doing my last minute research. But this year, June of this year, to honor and celebrate Biggie's 47th birthday, his mother, Valletta, and children, uh, CJ and Tayana, announced that Biggie's hometown street, St. James Place in Brooklyn, would officially be renamed Christopher Notorious B.I.G. Wallace Way at the intersection of Fulton and St. James Place. In his hit song, Juicy, Biggie says, quote, spread the love, it's the Brooklyn way. Well, Brooklyn loved him right back, and the decision to rename the street received approval votes 48 to 0 from the New York City Council in favor of changing the name last wow. December. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty dope. The dedication took place on June 10th of this year, like I said, and just last weekend, the people who spearheaded the entire effort uh, to get the street renamed had a huge block party to celebrate nice yeah oh i love that yeah it's like that's his street that's where he grew up yeah. like he he shouts out brooklyn in a lot of his songs like talks about his love for brooklyn for new york for the east coast so right um yeah I which like is that. amazing to do yeah oh that makes me happy like it, it's his legacy i love that yeah well even bigger three years ago brooklyn uh president eric adams declared may 21st biggie day cute yeah i love that he presented um the proclamation to biggie's daughter tayana wallace um while praising biggie's lyrics and storytelling saying quote on his birthday brooklyn salutes one of our own who has never been forgotten as long as his music plays his energy will remain and continue to inspire people throughout not only the borough of brooklyn but biggie put brooklyn on the map end quote yeah yeah. So now he every it May twenty cool first, the it's Biggie Day. Thought it was cool. Yeah. Well, I don't know. That's one of the the last things that I found about, and I was like, oh, that's just so perfect. Yeah, that's that's very. Ugh, I like that. Right. Yeah. Um, we stand. getting into some of the books. Um, I'm only gonna name a couple because there are a lot, but um, it's one of the books that I talked about first. Labyrinth by Randall Sullivan is a huge one. Okay. There's one called Dead Wrong, the continuing story of City of Lies, Corruption, and Cover-Up in the Notorious B.I.G. Murder Investigation. That's a follow-up book by Randall Sullivan. Um, then there's a book that actually came out on Biggie's birthday this year by um, Brooklyn's own Timoth Tiffany, sorry, Tiffany D. Jackson called Let Me Hear a Rhyme. And it's actually a novel that just makes references to Biggie and his legacy. But still looks like a pretty good read. Yeah. And there was a book in 2000 called The Murder of Biggie Smalls. And investigative journalist and author Kathy Scott suggested that Biggie and Tupac's murders might have been the result of the East Coast-West Coast feud and motivated by financial gain for the record companies like we had previously mentioned. Um, yeah, I'll be putting out a reading list. Those are just some of the popular ones that I found getting into movies and TV and documentaries, which there are a ton of. I wonder what she'll bring up. <laughs> yes. In 2002, filmmaker Nick Broomfield released a documentary called Biggie and Tupac, and it's based on the information um, from one of the books. Yep. The New York Times described Broomfield's low-budget documentary as largely speculative and circumstantial without relying on flimsy evidence failing to present counter evidence or question sources. Ooh. Yeah. So the motive suggested for the murder of Biggie in the documentary to decrease suspicion for the Tupac shooting six months earlier was, uh, as the New York Times put it, unsupported in the film. The critics' consensus on Rotten Tomatoes was that it's a compelling documentary even for those who are not fans of rap. Okay. Not that it I'm got, not a fan, but I think that's always yeah, good it's when still, they've got it's a still a very reach. interesting case. Yeah. Um, it got a Rotten Tomato score of 81%, audience score of 73, 6.8 out of 10 on IMDb, and 89% on Google. Okay. That's that's pretty good. I'd say that's, yeah. that's impressive. 
There are various other documentaries. 2003's Notorious B.I.G. Legend. Um, 2005's Notorious B.I.G. Unauthorized Biography, Bigger Than Life. Um, 2007, Notorious B.I.G. Bigger Than Life, which got a Google score of 95%. IMDb of 6.8 out of 10. 2009, Notorious B.I.G. Biggie Smalls Rap Phenomenon. Um, Murder Rap Inside Biggie and Tupac Murders, which is a 2015 documentary based on Greg Kading's book of the same name. And it includes interviews with Kathy Scott, who I mentioned before, wrote another book about him, and Mm -hmm. Greg Kading himself. That got an IMDb score of 7.5 out of 10. Then there's Biggie, The Life of Notorious B.I.G., which is a documentary from 2017. And it's the first the first to be authorized by his estate. Okay. Which that's, is that interesting. Means everything. Yeah. So it includes interviews with his widow, Faith Evans, his mother, Valletta Wallace, as well as huge names in the hip hop world and close friends, P. Diddy, Jay Z, and Nas. And it got a Google score of ninety five percent. So it's Yeah, so it's, it's pretty good. Probably the biggest one. Yeah. I would say that one and then the first one I mentioned, the Biggie and Tupac one from two thousand two. Those are like the two main ones that if you're going to watch any of them, watch those. Got it. Now Um, we know. Recently in 2018, the film city of lies was produced um, based on pool's investigation and Sullivan's book Labyrinth. And it cast Johnny Depp as pool and Forrest Whitaker as Jack Jackson. It doesn't have a rotten tomato score that I saw, but it got an audience score of 64% IMDB of 6.4 out of 10 and a Google score of 91 wow that's impressive yeah and like i had already mentioned buzzfeed unsolved covered the case along with tupac in a two-part investigation and that was in 2018 right yep that's it that's that's the way the cookie crumbles that's all i got for you sorry i stumbled my way through most of it it's okay i'll forgive you because of that suge anecdote suge Suge, Suge, who is Suge Knight? Elliot, really? (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) He's not here, so he can't hear me make fun of him. I love it. Hopefully you'll hear it when he's uh, mixing the episode. Mm -hmm. Oh, also, uh, I don't know if he will put a little thing at the beginning of this episode, but if he doesn't, I just want to shout out if anyone else is a podcast host or does voiceover stuff, or um, just needs any type of audio mixing, our lovely uh, sound engineer, Elliot, is uh, up to the task. He's dope. We love him. So, yes, he's got many accolades. He produces this podcast. So you can hear how flawless he makes us sound. And um, you can email us at crimeculturepod at gmail.com. Oh, uh, yes. And apologies to the, well, specifically Selena, not Quintanilla related that I believe. Um, but yeah, I was working over the weekend last weekend and I completely forgot to respond to people's emails. So responses are coming. Yes. And if you have written to us on um, Tumblr, Sometimes I get the messages, like sometimes I'll get an email notification saying yeah. that we have a message. Sometimes I don't. So I'm Tumblr's sorry if I haven't like responded. That. Yeah. We mostly respond to people on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. Yeah. Talk to a lot of people on Facebook. But so we've actually had we a lot of people emailing us. We have. Yeah, no. And that's what I'm trying to say. Like, I'm not trying to discourage that at all. Like, keep emailing. I'll yes, get better, and keep, I promise. Keep suggesting episodes. Like, I know, like... Every single time someone suggests an episode, we're gonna, we're like, we'll get to it. But we promise we are going to get to it. We just have a lot of irons in the fire right now. Yes. Oh my god. Uh, which you'll yeah. Which you'll learn about. But like, woo. I think we can announce now that we are doing the two episodes a week in October, like we did last year. So there's that. That's it's it's our Everest, but we're gonna do it. It is, and I'm going to be away for most of October, so we have to pre-record a lot of stuff, and it's stressful. But, um, yeah, so just get ready for that. There's going to be a lot of content coming out very, very soon, Yeah, and um, we're very excited, and if you want to 
talk to us about anything, you can email us, like I said, crimeculturepod at gmail.com. Uh, go to our Instagram, Crime Culture Podcast. Go to our Twitter, at Crime Culture Pod. Um, our Facebook, just search Crime Culture. You'll see our album artwork there. That's us. Um, everything. All the social medias. Yeah. Get at us. Yeah. Yeah. Are we done for this week? I guess. I don't know. I Are we done for this week? You asking me makes me nervous. I don't know. Just thought you want to talk to the people. Um, hello. <coughs> I hope everyone's doing well. Yep. Um. Yeah. What's that? <laughs> <laughs> All right, well. I, we never know how to begin or end, I think. No, no. And you know by the last episode we'll probably have some sort of grasp but for you now we're like nearing a hundred so you think we get better at this but no nope, it stays pretty much the same oh i was gonna say somehow we get worse um that's true i feel like we were better at it earlier i feel like we we're better at some things and not others but then it like flipped if that makes sense yeah right i don't know i don't know anyway yeah have a good week, people. We'll yes, see you goodbye. next Tuesday. Bye. Bye.